Welcome back. Thank you guys for coming. This is part 11 of Pure Worship of Jehovah, reading extremist literature. So in the last one, we, uh, we finished off on paragraph 12. Now we're on 13. And it's the beginning of a subheading. It's called, Look, It is Coming. So here's paragraph 13. It says, Besides foretelling how Jerusalem would be destroyed, Ezekiel also acted out when that would happen. Ezekiel was told by Jehovah to lie on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 days. Each day represented a year. That enactment, which Ezekiel must have performed for only a part of each day, pointed to the exact year of Jerusalem's destruction. Okay, before we continue on here, uh, if you guys remember in the last one, we had Ezekiel acting out this really bizarre, strange thing. So he was, I guess it was like he was acting out this this play, I guess you could say, where he took a brick and he, you know, cut it with a knife and, and all of this other weird stuff to signify something that Jehovah was trying to communicate. To represent something he's trying to communicate. Okay, so I guess the next part here is Ezekiel being told to lie on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 days. So that's completely unrealistic, right? That's that that did not happen. I mean, even even Jehovah's Witnesses here are saying it must have only been for a part of the day. But I find it fascinating that Jehovah's Witnesses are are saying how unrealistic it is to think that this was literal here instead of anywhere else in the Bible. So why didn't they say Noah's Ark was unrealistic? Why didn't they say, you know, sitting in an ark for a full year when the planet was underwater with two of every single animal on the planet and seven of the clean animals, quote-unquote, like the non-cud-chewer animals or the, the animals without cloven hooves, things like that. Seven of those, two of the unclean, for a year in one boat, fed by Noah, by eight people, fed by eight people. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that without question. But here, one guy lying on his left side for just over a year is too unrealistic for them to accept now. It's very strange to me that they're picking this this thing here out of everything to say, you know, it's unrealistic to think that that was literal. It's probably figurative. I don't know. It's just really, really bizarre. Okay. So it says, That enactment, which Ezekiel must have performed for only a part of each day, pointed to the exact year of Jerusalem's destruction. The 390 years of Israel's um, error evidently began in 997 BCE, the year that the 12-tribe kingdom was divided into two parts. Now remember, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, that's pretty significant to Jehovah's Witnesses. That's a significant um, event. That's how they, they, they use that event to reach the date 1914, which they claim is when Jesus came back and all that other junk. So that does have some serious significance. Okay, it says, The 40 years of Judah's sin likely began in 647 BCE, 
which was the year that Jer- that Jeremiah was commissioned as a prophet to warn the kingdom of Judah in clear-cut terms about his, uh, about its coming destruction. Thus, both time periods would end in 607 BCE, the exact year in which Jerusalem fell and was destroyed, just as Jehovah had foretold. Okay, that is not when Jerusalem fell and was destroyed. We have irrefutable evidence that that is the wrong date. We have irrefutable evidence that it happened in 587, which is 30 years later than Jehovah's Witnesses claim. So when Jehovah's Witnesses came up with this this 1914 date back in the 1800s, the late 1800s, they believed it to be 607 BCE. The whole world believed it to be that. Just because we didn't have the information that we do now. We hadn't found that, you know, the ancient stone tablets and, you know, the cuneiform tablets and the records that we unearthed since then. Um, That's why we thought it was 607 back then. And they stuck to that. They built their entire religion around that date, 607. And come to find out, that was wrong. We know without a shadow of a doubt that it was 587, not 607. But Jehovah's Witnesses want to fall on the sword. So let me just take a look here, because they have a footnote here. Footnote number two says, By allowing the destruction of Jerusalem, Jehovah expressed his judgment against not only the two-tribe kingdom of Judah, but also the ten-tribe kingdom of Israel. See Insight on the Scriptures, Volume 1, page 462, Chronology, from 997 BCE to Desolation of Jerusalem. Okay, so they're pointing to their, their book called the Insight Book. It's called Insight from the Scriptures, Volume 1. Uh, they're pointing to that to for us to find their reasoning for why it was 607 and uh, not 587, I guess. At some point, I'd like to look that up. I, I'm not going to right now. But it, is, it, it would probably be a pretty interesting read. Okay, so that was paragraph 13. Here's 14. Um, before we get into 14, there is a picture right below um, paragraph 14 here. It's a picture of Ezekiel lying on his right side with a brick on the ground surrounded by twigs poked into the, the, the ground around it, kind of surrounding it like a little itty-bitty fence. And he's holding something. I'm not really sure what he's holding. The dog is sniffing this weird brick thing. How did Ezekiel point to the exact year of Jerusalem's destruction? See paragraph 13. That's the caption. This is such a bizarre... I I, I don't know how they're they're taking this seriously. This doesn't make any sense to me that they're honestly taking this seriously. Like, nobody in their right minds would would take this literally. Okay, here's uh, paragraph 14. At the time... uh, I'm sorry. At the time that Ezekiel received the prophecy of the 390 days and the 40 days, he may not have discerned the exact year of Jerusalem's end. Nevertheless, in the years leading up to its destruction, he repeatedly warned the Jews that Jehovah's judgment was coming. The end is now upon you, he proclaimed. Read Ezekiel 7, 3, and then 5 through 10. Uh, Let me just take a quick glance at Ezekiel 7, 3. 
says, The end is now upon you, and I will unleash my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all your detestable practices. Then 5 through 10 says, Disaster, unheard of disaster. See, it comes. The end has come. The end has come. It has roused itself against you. See, it comes. It's kind of like a poem format. Weird. Doom has come upon you, upon you who dwell in the land. The time has come. The day is near. There is panic, not joy on the mountains. I'm about to pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all your detestable practices. I will not look on you with pity. I will not spare you. I will repay you for your conduct and for the detestable practices among you. Then you will know that it is I, the Lord, who strikes you. See the day, see it comes. Doom has burst forth. The rod has budded. Arrogance has blossomed. Wow, that is kind of a violent uh, scripture. That's insane. Okay. So it says, the end is now upon you, he proclaimed. Ezekiel had no doubt that Jehovah would prove to be an exact timekeeper. The prophet also foretold what events would precede the destruction of Jerusalem. There will be disaster upon disaster. Those events, in turn, would lead up to the breakdown of social, religious, and governmental structures. Now remember, everything that Jehovah's Witnesses are saying happened back then, they're saying is going to happen now. They're saying it's, you know, any time, any minute, any five minutes now, this is going to go down and we're all going to be screwed. Especially me. I'm going to be really screwed because I knew the truth and I rejected it. So I'm just SOL. God's just going to outright kill me. Or one of the governing body members is um, because they're going to be raptured to heaven uh, when Armageddon starts and they're going to be given swords and told to go murder everybody that isn't an active baptized Jehovah's Witness. So, yeah. I I wonder, do you guys think that the governing body members have dreams about killing people in Armageddon? Do you think that they dream about that kind of thing? I bet they do. I mean, that's what they're looking forward to. That's what they, they're excited for this. They want this to happen. I bet they dream about it. Okay. It's, so that was paragraph 14. Um, here's 15. A few years after Ezekiel proclaimed Jerusalem's fall, the prophecy began to be uh, fulfilled. In 609 BCE, which remember, this is supposed to be two years before Jehovah's Witnesses think Jerusalem fell. It was actually 32 years before. Okay, so it says in 609 BCE, Ezekiel learned uh, that the attack against Jerusalem had begun. At that time, the sound of the trumpet summoned the inhabitants to defend their city, but as Ezekiel had foretold, no one was going to the battle. Jerusalem's inhabitants did not rally to the city's defense to fight the Babylonian invader. I'm sorry, to fight the Babylonian invaders. Some Jews may have thought that Jehovah would come to their rescue. He had done so before when the Assyrians had threatened to take Jerusalem and an angel of Jehovah had destroyed most of their army. Oh, don't even get me started on that one. That's complete BS. But no angelic help arrived this time. Before long, the besieged city resembled a cooking pot that was put on the fire, and its inhabitants were caught like pieces of meat inside the pot. After an agonizing siege that lasted 18 months, Jerusalem was destroyed. 
Okay. Um, they're kind of laying the groundwork for for the entire battle, I guess. Um, but like I said, it didn't happen until 30 years after they said it did. I don't even know if they have any solid evidence of of any of this or if they're just completely making this up. If they're I mean, I understand telling a story or trying to get the the reader interested in in you know this story that they're telling. But I'd really appreciate it if they either cited a source for where they're getting the information or told us that it was based on a true story or something, that it wasn't actually factual. Um, they're, they're saying this as though it's factual, like this is what happened and we know this happened for a fact. It's just weird. Okay, so that was 15. Here's 16. It, the, uh, the subheading is, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is paragraph 16. What can we learn from this part of Ezekiel's prophecy? Does it relate to the message of our ministry and the reaction of those to whom we preach? Jehovah has determined when the approaching destruction of false religion will come about. And again, he will prove to be an exact timekeeper. Now, I just want to pause here for a second. Um, This is really fascinating to me. They keep saying he's an exact timekeeper. I noticed that they were saying that in a JW Broadcasting episode, too. So... They say, we don't know the day or hour. The Bible says we don't know the day or the hour. But Jehovah will be punctual. That's what they said. He will be on time. We don't know when it is, but he will not be late, whenever it happens to be. What? What? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. How could you know if he's going to be on time? Seriously, this is insane. Uh, anyway, they so you know they they keep pushing this whole he's an exact timekeeper bit. How could they possibly know if nobody knows when it's going to be? Okay, it says, and again he will prove to be an exact timekeeper. We do not know the uh, the precise date of that event. Like Ezekiel, though, we continue to carry out Jehovah's instruction to warn people repeatedly, saying, "The end is now upon you." Why do we need to repeat that message? for the same reason that Ezekiel needed to do so. Most people to whom he proclaimed God's prophecy about Jerusalem's fall did not believe it. But later, some Jewish exiles in Babylon showed a righteous heart condition, and they returned to their homeland. Similarly, many people today dismiss the idea that this world will come to an end. Even so, until the time for mankind to accept God's message runs out, we want to help honest-hearted individuals to find the road that leads to life. So I'm going to talk about this on my main channel again at some point. Uh, I want to redo the bunker video, but in the bunker video, they mention um, they mention that their their message changed from one of good news to one of judgment. And I kind of blew it off at the time, like, that's kind of strange, but whatever. Uh, I don't know what they mean by that. I should have put more stock in it because it was actually it was actually significant. It was actually relevant. And we can kind of see them talking about it here now. And I think they talked about it in the first part of this chapter. Um they where they're saying that they're going to so after Armageddon starts or after the Great Tribulation starts or whatever, they're 
going to continue going in service and knocking on doors, but they're going to stop accepting people into the religion. So the message that they're going to be bringing, they're not going to be trying to bring people in. They're just going to be going up to people's doors, knocking on them, and telling them that they're going to die. And that's it. That's what they're going to do. I am really seriously wondering if they're going to do that. Like if they believe, if they're going to come to a point that they think they're in it and they start just knocking on people's doors and telling them they're going to die. I wonder if that's going to happen. And if that does happen, I wonder what, you know, what the ramifications of that are going to be. That's obviously harassment. Like that's serious harassment. You come to my door and knock and tell me that I'm going to die. And that's it. That's harassment. That's crazy. You're a crazy person if you do that. Um, So, yeah, I do wonder. I I imagine they would be... I mean, they're already banned from a lot of places. I imagine they'd be banned from even more places. I don't know. It's just going to get really, really interesting if that ends up happening. Okay, so... Let's see, where were we? That was paragraph 16, I believe. I just wanted to mention that there's another picture on page 68. Um, It's a picture of a cook pot on some stones that that have a fire uh, between the stones. And it says, Jerusalem under siege resembled a cooking pot put on the fire. See paragraph 15. If you remember, they used that analogy in paragraph 15. Okay, so that was, I believe, paragraph 16. Yeah, that was 16. Uh, Next is 17. Let's just take a quick glance here. Um, There's another picture on this page, 69. It's a picture of a Jehovah's Witness handing a tract to some random woman on the street and then a little girl turning around to listen to what she's saying and some other dude possibly carrying another Jehovah's Witness tract. Hard to tell. And the caption says, though many do not listen, we keep searching for honest-hearted people. See paragraph 16. So yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff. All right, so here's 17. It says, Ezekiel's prophecy also reminds us that when the coming attack against religious organizations occurs, members of the churches will not be going to the battle to defend religion. Instead, I'm sorry, Instead, as they begin to realize that their cry for help, Lord, Lord, is going unanswered, their hands will hang limp, and they will be shuddering. What else will they do? Read Ezekiel seven nineteen to 21. That looks pretty short. Uh, Ezekiel seven nineteen to 21 says, They will throw their silver into the streets, and their gold will be treated as a thing unclean. Their silver and golds will not be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. It will not satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs, for it has caused them to stumble into sin. They took pride in their beautiful jewelry and used it to make their detestable idols. They made it into vile images. Therefore, I make it a thing unclean for them. I will give their wealth as plunder to foreigners and as loot to the wicked of the earth, who will defile it. How dark. This is such a dark book. It's crazy. Okay. All right, so it says, who, uh, what else will they do? 
And then it says, read Ezekiel 7, 19 to 21. Jehovah says, they will throw their silver into the streets. That statement regarding the inhabitants of ancient Jerusalem also vividly illustrates what will take place during the Great Tribulation. At that time, people will realize that money cannot save them from the coming calamity. All right, I just want to point something out. There is a difference between the Great Tribulation and Armageddon. So... The Great Tribulation is going to be when governments turn on organized religion and attack Jehovah's Witnesses and all this other stuff. And at the end of the Great Tribulation, after, you know, everybody's been attacked or whatever, then Armageddon happens. Then Armageddon comes, and that's when the 144,000 are raptured to heaven and are outfitted with a sword to start killing people. Um, Obviously, you know, it's going to be pretty evident that something happened during Armageddon. So I guess when the Great Tribulation starts, that is when Jehovah's Witnesses' message is going to turn from good news to judgment, quote-unquote. But anyways, yeah, uh, there's a whole big timeline and and, and a lot more to it than just that. Um, One of these days I'll get into it in a little more detail, uh, maybe on my main channel pretty soon. Anyway, so that was uh, 17. Here's 18. Uh, Just a second, I'm scrolling ahead a little bit. Okay, here's 18. Do you discern a lesson for us in this part of Ezekiel's prophecy? It's about the need to set the right... Uh, priorities. Consider this, only after the inhabitants of Jerusalem understood that the end of their city and their life was upon them, and that material goods could not save them, only after that did they drastically change their priorities. They threw their possessions away and began to seek a vision from a prophet, but their change came too late. In contrast, we are already fully aware that the end of this wicked world is upon us. Therefore, our faith in God's promises has moved us to set the right priorities in life. As a result, we are busy pursuing uh, spiritual riches, which have lasting value and will never be thrown into the streets. Read Matthew 6, 19-21 and 24. Let me just take a quick look. Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hey, how do they know that moths and vermin do not exist in heaven? I think they're assuming that. Okay, this is uh, Matthew 6:24. They mentioned this verse too. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses use that verse a lot. Um, that's That verse is, at, at least in part, what they use to kind of malign college. You know, they'll say, you don't need a college education. Armageddon's right around the corner. Um, and you can't slave for two masters. You need to love God more than you love money. So live a poor life and, and just pioneer. Just go out there and knock on doors for us full time. That's, that's what they say. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, 
I don't know. Just everything that, that, that they're saying here is really crazy, and it's getting crazier. I mean, they're making some serious predictions in this. It's startling. Okay, so that was, uh, that was 18. Let's take a look at 19. In summary, what are some of the ways that Ezekiel's prophetic statements about the fall of Jerusalem affect us today? They remind us that the time still available for helping others to become God's servants is limited. Hence, we carry out the disciple-making work with urgency. We rejoice greatly when honest-hearted individuals begin to worship our Father Jehovah. However, even to those who do not take that step, we continue to give the warning that Ezekiel gave to the people in his day. The end is now upon you. At the same time, we are determined to maintain our trust in Jehovah and to keep his pure worship first and foremost in our life. Okay, that's, that's an interesting read. Um, they're, they're basically outlining exactly what's going to happen in the end and how they're going to change and how they're going to act when that time comes. When I was in it, they used to have book study groups, and I've mentioned this before on my channel. Uh, they used to have book study groups, and they were basically like sleeper cells. Um, when the Great Tribulation went down and when Jehovah's Witnesses get attacked, you report to this person's house, and this person is in charge of, of everybody, and, and the whole nine yards. And we would go there once a week, and we'd get to know the people really well, because they were going to be our lifeline when the government attacked. Kind of, I mean, that's what it, you know, that's, that was what it was all about. We'd go there once a week and we'd eat cheese platters and we'd, we'd drink soda and hang out with them and we would study this type of book. They're probably studying this book at, at their meetings sometime in the next year or so. But they'd study a book much like this, much like I'm doing. Um, once a week and after they finished reading the book they you know they'd hang out they may even play video games or something with the kids there uh, all the kids would play them together because they want those people to be really close when armageddon comes or when the great tribulation comes they want them to be close to each other but they yeah they removed the book studies i found that to be an extremely strange move on their part considering how close they believe the end to be um, but either way, they still study books just like they did before. And they, you know, this, I, as far as I know, they still kind of split congregations up. It's just, you don't go to their houses or anything like you used to. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that was 19. That was the very last one. There was another picture on the side here. It says, uh, it's a picture of like a vase, I guess, and a bracelet and a necklace, it appears. It says, why did the inhabitants of ancient Jerusalem throw their silver into the streets? See paragraph 17. Yeah, that's really fascinating stuff. Um, okay, so this was the end of the, the chapter. This is the end of chapter 6. So here, there are some study questions at the end. It says, your place in pure worship. Here's the first question. The events that Ezekiel acted out remind us of what momentous events that God's word foretold for our future. And then study question number two. How does the way Ezekiel carried out his commission to preach Jehovah's warnings affect your view of the ministry? And here's the last one. Why might the prophecies that we considered in this chapter move you to re-examine your priorities and what changes have you already made? 
So they're trying to push people to be better, to do better, to be better Jehovah's Witnesses. It's really fascinating the mindset that they develop here and heartbreaking at the same time. Okay, that's, uh, yep, I guess that's the end of the chapter. I'll hit chapter seven next week. Thanks for coming, guys.